Hey nurses, welcome to the Nurse Dot Podcast, giving nurses validation, resources, and hope one episode at a time. Today on Nurse Dot Podcast. I kind of walked into the gross room, what it's called, and that's the anatomic pathology room where they dissect all the organs from surgeries. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I saw lots of cool stuff, giant ovaries and breasts. And I just, I don't know. I just, even though I was working as a cytotech, I just never really thought about if a person got a mastectomy, like where their boob went afterwards. I think a lot of people don't think about that. And that's why I started writing about it because I thought it was cool. Joining us today, Nicole and Jemmy, a woman who has managed to turn what many would deem macabre into an everyday conversation starter. Garnering over 1.7 million followers on Instagram and a successful platform called The Gross Room, she provides unfiltered insights into the fascinating world of pathology. She's a pathologist assistant, an educator, and dare I say, a disruptor in the field of science and medical education. I'm your host, Kara Lunsford, registered nurse and VP of community at nurse.com. Well, hello there, Miss Nicole and Jemmy. I'm so excited to like interview you today. I know, me too. I just love you so much. Okay, so Miss and Jemmy, first of all, I'm just like really excited that A, I'm going to get to see you in person soon. I know, we never met, which is weird. Which is so weird because we've talked on the phone for like long periods of time over the years because it has been actually years. I think the very first time I ever did anything with you, like a collab, was when I had Holly Blue. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to Miss Aunt Jemmy. I love her page. I wonder if I can do some sort of like a collab with her and pay her to do a post for me. And you were so great. And also like, can I just say like really affordable? Like you were affordable. You were. I mean, for like someone like me who was a brand new startup, didn't have any followers, didn't have anything. And I just to get off the ground, I think at the time you could have charged probably thousands and thousands of dollars, but you were so affordable. And I just really appreciated that about you because sometimes I've worked with other people where you want how much? <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, right? It's crazy. I know. So... I think the very first time I ever did anything with you, I just saw all these people following Holly Blue and I was so excited. I, rem- I distinctly remember laying in my bed and watching it go ding, 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 <laughs> ding. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I have followers. <laughs> it was so great. So there's 1.7 million people out there and probably more who actually know who you are. So we don't need to introduce you for those people, but for the rest of the world that maybe does not know who you are, tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you came to just create the Miss Anjemi page. So I'm a pathologist assistant. I have my bachelor's degree as a cytotechnologist, which is looking at pap smears and stuff under the microscope. And then 
after I went to school, I got a little bit bored and started seeing like what else I could do. And at the same time, I made friends with a lot of the... So I was working in the pathology department at the hospital and I was friends with all the pathology residents. They were all around my age at the time. And I would just wander over there to be like, hey, what are you guys doing this weekend? Because we were all like 25 or whatever. And then that's when I kind of walked into the gross room, what it's called. And that's the anatomic pathology room where they dissect all the organs from surgeries. And it was just like this whole world of what's going on over here. And I always tell this story too, that the the reason that I went over there the one day in particular is that there was a really bad smell. And then when I walked in there to see like what the commotion was, because everybody was like, Ugh, and it, it smelled disgusting, like a dead body. <laughs> And of course, that smell is so uh, pungent and just hits you in the face. So I wanted to see what it was, of course. And I walked over there and they said, oh, the leg refrigerator is leaking. And I was like, what is a leg refrigerator? And it was like a refrigerator in a pizza place or something. I'm sure if you work in the hospital, have you seen it? But just a bunch of amputated legs wrapped up. You could tell they were a leg because they just had the biohazard bag kind of taped on with the medical tape because they don't really have, they might, they just never use them in the hospital, specific bags for legs. Oh, they don't have like just a leg bag? Like, well, when I think lay bag, I think- They probably do. <laughs> Immediately when I said leg, leg bag, I'm thinking about all the nurses who are thinking about a Foley catheter bag that goes on the leg. <laughs> Like, not that leg bag. We're not talking about that leg bag. No, I'm sure they probably sell these mini body bag type things, but they probably cost too much. And people in the hospital are like, you could just put it in a biohazard bag and put some tape around it. And it works the same way. Yeah. So, you know, I walked over there and obviously the rest is history because I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I saw lots of cool stuff, giant ovaries and breasts. And I just... I don't know. I just never, even though I was working as a cytotech, I just never really thought about if a person got a mastectomy, like where their boob went afterwards. <laughs> like, I just didn't think, I didn't really think about it. I think a lot of people don't think about that. And that's why I started writing about it because I thought it was cool. So I was doing a blog that I had through like WordPress and I went home every night and I was writing, writing, writing. Because when I finally went to PA school, I was a single mom. My kid was 13 to 15 years old during that time. I worked full time at the same time. And I was used to pulling off this leaving the house at seven in the morning and getting home at midnight five or six days a week. So when I finally graduated school, I was so bored. So I went home every night after work and then I started writing because I just needed something to do kind of. It didn't really get much play because nobody knew about it, but I didn't really care. I just was, you know... And then my husband, he has a really popular Instagram account and he takes photographs. I don't think I knew that. He has a really awesome one that he takes pictures in the city where he works and stuff. It's really, really good. That's so cool. He said, we were dating at the time, but he said, why don't you do your blog, but like do it on Instagram? And I didn't know what, ins I hate social media. I didn't really know what it was. I didn't understand it. I had a teenager, so I heard about it. And she's the one that actually set it all up for me. By the time that happened, I, she was 18. And then I started posting. This was in 2013, I guess, because my daughter was a baby who's now 10 and a half when I started. And it was awesome. Like I had 10,000 followers like in a month. 
That's amazing. And then I said to my husband, we were at, we were at like some art show and he said, oh, this is so crazy. I can't believe you got this many followers. And I was like, my goal is that I would like to have a hundred thousand people. That would be so cool if that many people would know about my job. And within two years, it just, it blew up. And there was some, uh, Alice Cooper gave me a shout out and George Takai, like super huge people that grew my following. Like one day I just woke up and had like 50,000 followers. It was crazy. That's so amazing. It was fun. It was just like a whirlwind, you know? (laughs) Well, yeah. And probably at the time, I felt like that's what Instagram was intended for, which was static photos and captions, like really interesting captions. And we've now evolved. I also feel like they're kind of chasing TikTok and stuff like that. It's go, well, we got to do what they're doing kind of thing and short form video. Not the video isn't great, but I really think that what was so cool about Instagram was that you could go to the gallery and it was really a gallery view and you felt like people really curated their gallery. They paid attention to the quality of the photos that they put up, the craftsmanship, I think a little bit around the quality of that content. And you were so good at that. I don't even think you meant to be, <laughs> like, but you were so good at it. Yeah, it's a bummer. I put so much time into it. It paid off. It's worth it. I started it and wasn't doing it to become famous or to get anything out of it. I just did it because I liked it. And my husband would make fun of me because it would be Friday night and I'd be in bed at 10 o'clock. I have to do this forensic Friday. And he's like, you actually don't have to. You don't get paid to do this. And this is like your fun thing. And then I would just say, no, I I have to do it. And it was hard for me to just take off from it because I liked it because I I was reaching people and getting a positive response for the most part. So it made me like keep wanting to go, you know, and now it's just, I do that now on my website. Speaking of your own website, The Gross Room, which is super awesome, by the way, I think it was a really great and intelligent move for you to just see your own value and realize that you could gate your content in a different way. Again, I'm going to go back to the fact that you're so affordable. (laughs) I mean, maybe a little too affordable, but I think that that is something that people should really be taking advantage of because the time that you take, especially, especially for student nurses, new nurses that are not getting a lot of training a lot of times, you know, they're really, and they're not getting great mentorship, preceptorship in the hospital. And they are really, really looking for ways to become more educated about the body, about the pathophysiology and all of these things, right? So what I really want to encourage people to do is to check out the gross room because you spend a lot of time talking about disease process and anatomy and physiology. And it's just a really, really great resource for anybody who's a clinician. But really those new grads, if you're in nursing school, it's just priceless. And I just needed to put that shameless plug out there for you (laughs) because I feel really passionate about it. Because you do keep things so affordable and, you know, just very reasonably priced, accessibility to healthcare is huge. It's, It's a huge thing that I think is so important. You know, health literacy is so important. So just people out there who are not clinicians, but they are the general public who need to learn more about disease process and need to learn more about the human body. 
they can follow you and learn so much and really just elevate their own health literacy. So just hats off to you because I do think that you've really figured out how to talk to the general public and clinicians in a way that is so accessible. It's a bummer because the benefit of the website is that I don't have limitations and I always wanted to write more, but just like I'm stuck with whatever limits with the however many characters you could have on Instagram. So that was one of the things. But the biggest thing is that the censorship just got out of control. And how could you teach regular people or anybody medicine when you can't talk about vaginas, a penis, breast? There's like major organ systems you can't even show because of, let me give you an example. I did a post one time of a girl that was, she didn't have her shirt on and she was in the mirror and she was showing how when she lifted up her hair to put her hair in a ponytail, she had like a divot in her breast, which ended up being breast cancer. And that's the only reason that she saw it. So I posted that picture to show just how insignificant that little divot was and how it was really good that she went and got it checked out. And my account is still, this was a couple years ago, my account is still on threat of being permanently deleted. I've even like pled my case to Instagram and wrote back exactly what it was. And they're just because I showed nipple. It's just so ridiculous. So the gross room's good for that because I could show that stuff and I don't have to worry about being canceled or whatever. <laughs> and that's the thing is that one of my very good friends, Katie Vigos, she created the Empowered Birth Project. And it had almost 500,000. It had over 500,000 followers at one point in time. I think it's dwindled down a little bit because it's kind of been laying dormant. But she was all about birth and educating about birth. And of course, you know, if you're going to talk about breastfeeding and birth and all these things, you need to not have it labeled as pornography. Exactly. Um, Yeah. I'm sure it's difficult for them to be able to know the difference, right? Like I'm sure it is. But to some extent, it's like certain accounts should get flagged as being legitimate, like legitimate accounts, like anything that you post, Nicole, you've proven yourself or anything that Empowered Birth Project, you know, posts, you've proven yourself. But the problem is, is that you probably got that content from someone else who posted it, or I don't know, maybe you didn't. Yeah. But like if their account gets flagged and shut down, then it limits what you can share. Yeah. I don't understand how they run their thing. I mean, obviously there's millions of users on there. I feel like high level medical accounts, there's probably really only a handful. I don't think that there's a ton that they can't be on top of it. And honestly, the AI technology is so good that they could tell certain things very easily. I just think it's a form of censorship. And I've heard this because people have been interviewed about me and I've read it in newspaper articles about me, how certain people in the medical field think that that stuff should stay in textbooks and like regular people don't need to be seeing that stuff. And that's what I think it is. Well, dumbing people down, right? It's always kind of like power play to keep yourself in a certain level of power to keep other people not disempowered in a way. It's like then they're reliant on you and that's a level of control. So I think what you're doing is you're disrupting that and nobody ever likes the disruptor, right? Like it's, (laughs) I mean, some people do, but you get a lot of pushback and when you disrupt something. Yeah, exactly. 
It is what it is, but it ended up working out well because now I have my website and I just get to write for people that want to be there. I don't have to deal with the trolls and that's nice. Everybody there is nice and wants to be there. They're nice to each other for the most part. (laughs) Well, you can come over to nurse.com anytime. You can come over to nurse.com and we will let you post your stuff. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And we won't take it down. So I'm going to see you in September for the Wild on Wounds conference. You are one of the keynote speakers, which is super cool, super exciting. One of the things that I love that we're going to be talking about and that we're going to be able to hear you talk about at the conference is really just kind of what you see from the pathophysiology of what happens when you receive a piece of tissue or when you receive a sample of a wound, or if you even see postmortems a wound and you can actually understand how it was cared for and how it wasn't cared for or how it got worse, maybe how it contributed to the person's mortality, you know, the morbidity. I'm really excited. I don't want you to tell everybody everything yet because They need to come to the conference if they want to hear the whole spiel. (laughs) But but I do think that like, you know, talk a little bit about wounds from your perspective, like just to talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing at the Wild on Wounds, like what you see from a wound perspective in your line of work. So I started writing my lecture a couple of weeks ago and it's pretty much almost done. But I sent Kara a text and said, how crazy can I get with these pictures? Because <laughs> I could do it, you know, PG rated or X rate, you know, there's a big variation. So it's pretty X rated. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you think that the wound nurses will be able to handle it. So it's there's some pretty gruesome pictures. But I go over in the lecture, I go over what happens in pathology or as a PA, what we see. So we'll see things come in from surgical pathology, which is probably the one that nurses will most likely be able to relate to because most nurses have either worked or rotated or something in the OR and will send tissue down to surge paths, even go down the surge path and see the lab sometimes. So I talk about certain things that all different kinds of things that we get, legs, amputations, and different talk about infectious processes and cancer and everything that we would see in surgical pathology. But that's all natural stuff for the most part. And then sometimes we get resections for people that get shot, that live. So we'll get a gunshot wound, but we'll get a whole small bowel because they got shot. So we do see forensic wounds too in the surgical pathology lab, which just made me think of something to add to the lecture, actually. (laughs) And this is why I'm like, I keep going in and I'm like, nah, I gotta add that, nah, I gotta. And then I'll go through what we see at autopsy and then the difference between seeing a natural wound versus one that was inflicted, whether it was by an accident or by a homicide, suicide. And we'll talk about all the different things that we look for to say, okay, if you see a body on the ground, you could say they were stabbed or they were had blunt trauma, you know, things like that. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I have a ton of examples to show that are really good to show. You know, when there's something that describes a disease process, but then in real life, when you see it, it's not always the greatest example. I really tried to pick the best examples to show you exactly what I'm talking about. And also, I just have a ton of other pictures in there. And then in the end, I show some a couple like weird ones 
that might fall into a couple different categories. And I think it's going to be awesome. Hey there, nurses and nursing students. We know your job isn't just a profession. It's a calling. Now, with Nurse.com, your nurse life is all in one place. Imagine a world where career opportunities are tailored to your skills, where you can find peer support in the Nurse.com app, the only networking site built specifically for nurses. Continuing education, events, peer support, and jobs? What more can you ask for? Ready to take the leap into a role that is truly yours? Check out nurse.com forward slash jobs today. Oh my gosh. To what you were saying, do wound nurses love gross stuff? A hundred percent. Like the grosser, the grosser, the better. They're like, and and they talk about it over lunch. They'll look at pictures over lunch. I mean, they really you know that I've done wound care with hospice and stuff like that. In my career, I've done a lot of wound care, not just for hospice patients. And I always tell people that when you swipe through my phone, you don't have to worry that you're going to come across like a nudie picture or something like that. You're going to get some stage three decubitus <laughs> ulcer that's on someone's sacrum. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and that really freaks people out worse than the, like nude pictures. Probably. If there was ever a way to deter people from swiping through your phone, you can always just strategically place a really gross wound picture. And then probably no one will ever pick up your phone again. <laughs> You always wonder what people are thinking too. Like the other day I'm at, I was trying to order some cabinets for my house and I'm trying to show this guy. He doesn't know what I do, know anything about me, trying to show him some picture of my phone. And everybody's always looking over to see you finding it. And he was probably like, what is happening right now? And nobody ever says anything, but I feel like that happens all the time. They're making a phone call after is what they're doing. They're like, we think we found that, you know, that murderer. <laughs> Between that and my Google searches, for sure. <laughs> They're like, she has trophies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Okay, so I always really love asking you questions about some of your favorite posts, your favorite stories. Some of them I think you've told us on an IG Live or something like that. But for the sake of this podcast, which has like a completely different audience, tell us a little bit about just some of your favorite, most shocking stories that you've ever like come across. So I personally, I think that I'm opposite of most people, but I prefer natural pathology over forensics because I just think it's more interesting to see just the random stuff that the human body could do without being inflicted on them, I guess. I don't know. It's just to me, that's most exciting for me. And I've had a couple just really crazy autopsies. I had this one I talked about on Instagram a couple weeks ago about a peanut tumor. And this guy, he was really young, like in his 30s, and he had like clubbing of his fingertips and his toes. He was an immigrant and was here just on a visa. So nobody really knew anything about him and he just died, you know? And as soon as I saw that, I feel bad for the guy. He was young in his 30s, but I get excited like, oh, my God, I'm going to find something good because like, why is this guy's look like this? Right. 
And I opened him up and he just had tumor in him. Like his whole entire chest and abdominal cavity was just tumor. Like I couldn't even take his chest plate off. I had to like saw through it with the scalpel blade just to get through all the tumor. His lungs was stuck to his ribs. Like it was so insane. And my first thing is like, what the F was this guy exposed to? Like, how did this guy get this? It's so crazy looking because that's like the first and only time I've seen something like that. And that's the kind of stuff that excites me so much because I want to know more. Obviously, I couldn't get any more information because he was just here and I couldn't get any more history because I'm just so intrigued by that. What could cause something like that? So we don't know what he did for a living or anything like that. And could have been agricultural, like could have been breathing in pesticides. Like it's like so hard to know, right? Like what could cause something like that. It was just the gnarliest thing I've ever seen. For we do a book club every month in the gross room. And this month we're reading Radium Girls. Radium Girls? It's so good. Yeah. I just finished it yesterday. Do you know about the story? It's just about women who used to work in watch factories in New Jersey, where I live actually, and they would paint the dials to make it glow. And they were using radium and the people that own the factory were telling them to like dip the pen in the radium and then lick it to make it like a real fine point. But within months, some of the girls were getting severe osteonecrosis in their jaw and their face was falling off crazy. That's what you look at when you see a person that has something that's so bad like that. You're just like, what were they exposed to that their body got that bad, you know? And probably very fast too. I mean, again, just not having access to healthcare, right? So you come over here from another country, you're here on a visa, just not having great access to healthcare. Also just not being able to afford to take off work, to go get checked out because that's what I found when I went to school at County. I always used to say like, I saw disease progression to like the nth degree because by the time someone brought themselves to County, their leg was falling off. Mm -hmm. It probably like started out as a small wound on their toe and, you know, undiagnosed diabetes and it just got worse and worse. And then They just worked through it and they kept showing up at work because they were afraid they'd get fired or they couldn't afford to take a day off. And by the time they end up there, it's too late. We're going to take your leg. You have stage four cancer. It's too late. It's just so sad, right? It's so sad that someone like him, so young in his 30s, probably just did not have access. And maybe it wouldn't have made a difference, right? Like maybe he wouldn't have been able to take off work and get chemotherapy and go to county. And maybe he wouldn't have been able to. We'll never know. You and I are like kind of different because I'm always taking care of the living people, right? Like helping them transition, but sometimes, but oftentimes taking care of the living people and you're getting them when they're no longer alive or a piece of them, just a piece of their body. But I do think that there's this part of me that's like also has that same fascination, right? But then we're a little bit morbid sometimes, like nurses can be a little... Yeah, we are too. And I was just going to say that because when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, my daughter Lillian, who's 10 and a half, I was working at a city hospital. And in the city, you see that all the time. You get a breast tumor from someone that's bigger than their boob could have been. And you're like, how were they walking around with this thing hanging off their boob? Like thinking about being a person that wears a bra, like where would you even put that thing? (laughs) That's why I love you. It's like, where are you going to put that thing? (laughs) 
I just think about that stuff. Like if you, you see, you get these giant testicles from people and you think, I mean, you've seen them on the TLC channel or something. The one guy that would carry it in like a hooded sweatshirt. <laughs> no, I did not see that, but. Oh, he used to uh, put the, the arms of the hoodie on his legs and then he put his giant balls in the hood of, of the sweatshirt. <laughs> But you, but you just think like, how was this person walking around like this? It ha- in the city, you see that all the time. So then I took a job at a community hospital, so I didn't have to take her into the city like a little baby on the train and stuff. I just didn't want to do it. And it's a rich area; everybody's got health insurance. And then I started getting one centimeter breast nodules, and I just was like, this is so boring. It's true. And it sounds morbid because you should say, oh, it's good that the patients are not getting very sick and taking care of themselves, but it makes for very boring pathology. Yeah. I mean, it does make for boring pathology, but it also, I think, really does shine a light on just the disparities between health disparity and what people have access to when they're more affluent versus if you're living in an underserved area. And same thing, like I was at County Hospital and it was a great training ground. Not to say that, you know, we should have to be training on people because they have such terrible health care that they just have these horrible things. But I do think that it does provide us with a lot of information. And because you've been able to see that, you've been able to tell people why it's so important for early detection. (laughs) Like you have to see the worst, right? In order to aim for better. Yeah. And a lot of the times when you see something that's really bad, there's cases of people that they don't want to go to the doctor because they're coughing and they swear they have lung cancer because they smoked their whole life and then they go and then it turns out, oh, they had TB, but like it's they're going to die from it because they just didn't go get it checked out. It's not always the worst case scenario if you have something wrong with you. And I hear I've heard cases of that a million times of just people that thought they had something and it, it turned out to not be anywhere near as bad. But since they ignored it now, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I really like having different types of care in terms of, do we have Western or Eastern or like, you know, Chinese medicine and acupuncture. And I'm all for all these different types of things, right? But I also think that sometimes the internet has allowed people to just go and do anything and everything. And sometimes they've decided, I don't need conventional medicine. I am going to go down to this rural um, shack in some developing country somewhere, and someone is going to feed me the insides of apricot seeds. And that is going to cure my cancer, and which we all know is actually cyanide, right? Peach pit therapy, right? But people will go down and get this stuff. And it, it's not to say that it's not maybe not going to have some effect or maybe doesn't help in some capacity, but there's a reason why we clinically trial things. There's a reason why Yes, a lot of the medications that we take, doxorubicin, for example, is actually comes from like a red clay. That's why it's red. And But you don't want to just go and eat the red clay, right? Like you don't know how much of that you need and how much of it is toxic to your body and how much of it is therapeutic for whatever it is that you have. And so you wouldn't just go eat like a handful of that red clay, <laughs> knowing that it could potentially help with your cancers. I think that that's also sometimes causing 
people to delay their care is or or get worse in some way because they go and try something that's not really proven. I think the problem is like the pharmaceutical industry is just so much. Like I just went to the eye doctor last week and I'm like, my eyes are so dry. And then it's like, oh, here's another drug. It's just always like a drug, a drug, a drug. And if you were on every single thing, like I'm 44 years old, like I'd be on like 20 medications right now because they just are like, do this, do this. I feel like there's a balance of it doesn't have to be all that, but like obviously the other thing's not going to work either. It just has to be like kind of... It has to be integrative, right? Like, so I think that's why integrative medicine is so fascinating because it does, it's not all of anything, right? It's not saying you got to do all of this or all of that. It's this nice kind of integrative approach of saying there's some stuff out there that has been tried and true and is your tumor is very responsive to this chemotherapy and you'll have a 95% survival rate if you take this chemotherapy and do the regimen and you will probably walk away and be fine. Additionally, you're going to not be very hungry. You're going to have nausea, vomiting, stuff like that. You should really try cannabis because cannabis has like this Gives you the munchies. Uh, gives you the munchies, makes, yeah, you can gain weight. It helps with nausea and vomiting, stuff like that. So there's this really great integrative approach to saying like, it's not all or nothing, right? I like that because I was going to like a really top headache center at a neurology office because I was having such bad migraines and stuff every day of my life. They were giving me Topamax, like a lot of hardcore drugs kind of that were making me not be able to speak. And then I was talking to one of my friends who has celiac, who was saying, you know, I used to get headaches and stuff before I got diagnosed and I stopped eating gluten. This was like four years ago. And that's it off all the medicine. Don't take the medicine anymore. And I'm like, well, why didn't they ever suggest testing me for that or anything? It was a simple, not simple. I mean, it sucks. I can't eat bread, but <laughs> or anything with gluten. It's a simple solution and I don't have to be on those medications. So there's, you know, there's a balance with everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's what we're always trying to achieve. And I love that, you know, the, the way we got started talking about this was because of, of seeing disease to the nth degree and the valuable nature of it from a teaching perspective, that's valuable, but how we end up getting there, the people who are either in denial or maybe they have money and they have great insurance, but they're just flat out in denial or they go and they take like, they don't have that great balance, right? And so they divert and they they go just one way and they're like, I'm only going to do these feathers and I'm going to put these feathers over my breast for like three months and then miraculously, I think it's going to go away. And that's horrible when you watch somebody just wither away when you know that there's a great approach that could be done. I had an autopsy once of a woman who was hemorrhaging after childbirth and her husband let her die and didn't give her blood products because of her religion. And that's kind of something watching that I just thought I'm doing this autopsy on this young girl. She's 20, whatever, 28 years old. And her husband's now leaving with her baby. She's in the morgue. She's dead for something that she totally did not have to die for, you know? <sighs> 
but ultimately like people are in charge of themselves and they can. Yeah. And she's an adult, right? And this is a lifestyle that she has chosen. And this is a belief system. And, and I think a lot of people who, who have certain belief systems and, you know, as we're exploring diversity and equity and inclusion and all these things, like as we are incorporating those things into our practice in healthcare, it's also just knowing that this is these are life choices, you know, it's, it's harder for me. I will be honest, like as a pediatric nurse. So when I was doing pediatrics, there were times when there were, you know, we had certain religions that had exactly that, like no blood products. Well, you know that when you're going through chemotherapy, you get anemic, low platelets. There were things that we could do to try and get around being blood products, but in a severe situation, if there was like sepsis or something involved like that, I think it's interesting because I actually have had patients who have certain religious beliefs that in the face of their child dying have said, no, you need to give the blood. That's interesting, actually, because I feel like there would be nothing in the world that would stop me from doing that. That's interesting to hear that from your perspective, that people say, you know what, this is stupid. I'm not doing this right now. And the other way is gone, too, where we've had to sometimes figure out like it's been a real ethical dilemma where it's like, how much do you allow a parent to have control over their child who is a minor and the child does not have the ability to, maybe they're young and they don't have the ability to say, I feel strongly about this or this is my faith and I really want to honor that. And that was the situation. Sometimes we, with teenagers, we'd say, okay, if that's really what you want, we'll honor your feelings and your beliefs and we'll honor your parents' wishes and yours. And in situations where the children were very young and didn't necessarily have the ability to choose, that was when ethics committees would get involved. That was something. You know, you are such an intelligent person, which is why it's so fun talking to you because you see the world through such a unique lens, I think. You also just look really cool. I mean, <laughs> I don't look nearly as cool as you do. <laughs> Way better hair. <laughs> I have one third of the hair that you have because <laughs> it's only right down the middle. Yeah, you're you're just like a such a a cool person. You have just a really unique way of looking at the world. You bring things to the clinicians and the public that are just they're just not available everywhere. And so, I'm just massively grateful for what you bring. <laughs> so, thank you. Thank, thank you for you. that. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I did want to ask you... We talked about like one of the crazy things that you've seen. That was more of an organic kind of biologic thing that happened. Give us like one, I know forensic is not like your biggest thing that you're passionate about, but what's kind of the craziest forensic thing that you feel you've ever seen or that got like the most maybe traction on your Instagram page where it was like it blew up and people were like, what the? <laughs> 
So in real life at the medical examiner, the craziest thing that I ever saw in person was someone that got decapitated in a car accident. That was for real, I guess for like a real life thing. I mean, I saw people that got shot every day, which bothered me because, you know, in Philadelphia, we have a high murder rate and it was all kids, just kids, 19 year old kids. I just hate it. it. You know, it's just. Yeah, it's so unnecessary. Between that and the drug death. And when I was there rotating f- 15 years ago, the drug deaths were not anywhere near where they are today, obviously. But again, just like 20 year old kid dead in their basement, their mom found them. And I just being a mom and stuff, you just think about that. Like, how do you put all this effort into waking up early, making their lunches, being up all hours of the night, taking care of them forever, and then they end up dead in your basement? OD'd. It's just so sad. But yeah, I saw um someone got decapitated in an accident, and that was just it's scary because it's you're in Philly, so you're in a city you live in on roads you travel on all the time. That somebody's head just got cut off in an accident on the same road that you'll be going home on. And I think about that all the time. One of my classmates was at the Emmy right after me and the person was driving on 95 and a tire flew off of a tractor trailer and went across the lanes and hit the guy in the head. She said his head was completely flipped backwards to his back and he died on the scene, obviously, and his wife was alive and watched the whole entire thing really horrible stuff like that. As far as the grossest forensic case I've seen in the gross room, just because I find cases from all over the world, is I have a video of, it's a toss between two videos, but there's a video of a guy who laid on the train tracks and tried to kill himself and got ran over by a train and his body is completely cut in half and he's still alive and he like is like moving his arms around and stuff. It's so crazy. Oh my God. Gosh. Oh, it's like really gnarly to see. And there's another one too that there was some kind of, I think it was a motorcycle accident or something, but they show this guy like smeared all over the sidewalk. And then you look over and his heart is on the ground and it's like still beating. <gasps> no. Whoa. You could probably just type like still beating in the search of the website and it'll come up, you know? Oh, that's my the best God. part of, of the gross room is the search bar. <laughs> Because people would always email me and say, you posted this gallbladder. And I'm like, dude, scroll back. I don't know what to tell you. I can't search all these pictures. Now it's very easy for me. Like I know all these cases. I have like a mental catalog and I'm like, oh, I know what to search. And then I find them real easily now. Do you have a hashtag search? Like, can you search by hashtag or do you use hashtags? What, in on my website? On, gro- yeah, the gross room. Yeah, you could just search any word. If you search heart, like everything will come up with heart stuff, you know? So it's easy. Oh, that's so cool. And yeah. I have it categorized too, but it's more specific if you're looking for like a specific disease or something, it'll just come right up. And then there's another video of a guy that's like working in an industrial accident. He's working this machine called a lath machine. I guess it cuts. I don't even know exactly what it does, but he got caught in it like a piece of his clothes and he just got wrapped up and it it was like sticking a person into a blender. It just was insane. Oh my gosh. One second up and working and then 30 seconds later, you look like a tomato milkshake. Like, it's just crazy. I know. It it makes you realize just kind of how fragile. It's weird how we're just meat, right? We're just like... (laughs) Want to hear the most disturbing thing? Yes. 
So I have like 80,000 pictures in my phone, right? I just don't ever go through and clear them. If I want to look for pictures of organs, like for the lecture, all I do is go in my phone and I search meat and they all come up. Oh my God, really? Isn't that disturbing? I was just listening to, it was a This American Life. I was listening to it on the plane and it was, actually, I'm going to send it to you. And anyone who's listening to this can look this up because it was hilarious. They were literally talking about intelligent beings from another solar system talking about us as much less intelligent beings, literally referring to us as meat. And at one point that one being says to the other being like, yeah, they're just, they're meat. And the being was like, that's not possible. Like they must have this or a processor in their you know, brain or something like, you know, they're, they must have, she's like, no. And he goes, well, what do they think with? And he, she goes, it's meat. It's still meat. And then they flap their meat around to communicate. Like they flap it around. And I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. Before we started talking today, I was in the kitchen putting my meat in the marinade for dinner tonight. I'm like, oh, here's this fascia. It just looks, it is, it looks the same. (laughs) I know, it's so ridiculous. I'm definitely sending you that This American Life. You'll get a real kick out of it. I was laughing out loud. Well, I loved this interview so much for so many reasons because for one, I felt like we got to talk about things that maybe you don't always talk about. I don't know. I just felt like we kind of got to get into some issues and things that are relevant and present today that, you know, just around health equity and talking about all of those things and listening to your views on that, which was really fun to talk to you about things that are not just about wounds and gross stuff, you know, but you as a person who I think is just really intelligent and fun to talk to. So I'm really excited for this. For anyone who wants to come and see you, there's still a lot of, you know, there's still availability for people to come to the Wild on Wounds conference and check out some of the very cool things that you're going to be talking about. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners before we go or? Doing this, I do a podcast on in the gross room and I think that we're going to be starting to do it for everyone on Apple Podcasts soon. <gasps> Shut up. Yeah, we're going to start that in the fall. We're still working on it. That is so smart. That is so smart. It should be. It should be available for everyone to listen to. That is brilliant. Well, I'm so, I'm so glad. Yeah, I think it'll be awesome. And I'll still, like, I have it in the gross room and we're still going to have it in the gross room for people so they don't have to listen to ads or anything (laughs) because, you know, they're paying customers and we, you know, we respect that and we don't want to bother them with that stuff. I think it'll be cool because in the podcast, we talk about pathology that's going on in the news. It just is never ending. We talk about everything from weird ways people die, crazy cases. And then we talk about different things like different research that's going on. Like, I don't know if you heard about they're doing this at-home mammogram that you could stick this thing in your bra and it breeds your breast like an ultrasound. Like just different kinds of things like that. Yeah, it's uh, researchers are working on that now. So every week we just talk about the latest research that's going on and follow stories and then anything from forensics to like medicine stuff. It's basically like listening to the news, except without all of the politics noise. (laughs) It's basically it covers everything else. That is so cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Are you going to use the gross room as your podcast or is it going to, what's it going to be called? So I'm doing it with Maria, my daughter, and it's going to be called Mother Knows Death. Yes. 
Yes. This is going to be great. Oh my gosh. This is brilliant. It's brilliant. I won't tell anybody until this podcast goes live, but <laughs> I know, right? But yeah, we're, we're excited about it. So when are you planning to release your first one on Spotify? We were going to try to do it pretty soon. And then obviously I'm going to Florida to do this conference for you. <laughs> so I didn't want to have that because we're driving there. So that'll be real fun. <laughs> I'm going to get there and be like a frazzled mess because it's going to take us 18 hours to get there. It's just a big thing because we want to take the kids. My kid can't get on the plane right now because she has to get tubes in her ears and it's a whole thing. So anyway, we're driving and then we're driving back after because my husband's doing a lecture on the way back in Virginia. So it's just going to be this crazy trip. But anyway, we'll be gone for like like a week. So I didn't want to start a project while I have that going on. So I said, when I get back and get settled, the kids start school and everything, then we'll start it up. And you're, are you going to have guests or are people going to yeah. write things in? And okay, very cool. We're going to try to do every week. We're going to try to do the news like we've been doing and then try to do other episodes, which are going to be called external examination where we're going to be interviewing people that have stuff to do with it, but it's not exactly just interviewing like some kind of person that's a forensic expert or something. They might, for example, last month we read for book club Into Minds by Dr. Das, and he's awesome. He's a forensic psychiatrist, and he just had such a different perspective because he takes care of the people that are killing people. Talking to him, he's awesome. He has a YouTube channel too. Just guests like that, that just have like this different perspective all on the same thing though. So it could just be anything that we're talking about that week that's just relevant, but it'll be like another episode. So it'll be cool. Because I've been having such awesome interviews for these book clubs I've been doing. And I thought like just a lot more people would be interested in it as well. Yeah, absolutely. If you ever get Brene Brown, can you invite me? Sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Not that she's necessarily your your area, but you know, I mean, who knows? I know. I just, I, I'm like open to having anybody discuss stuff because it's all, everyone has their own thing and it's just cool to talk to people. Yeah. She's a researcher. She's a, a data researcher, storyteller. I'm always plugging it because I'm always hoping that one day she's going to hear me say, I really want to have Brene Brown on the podcast and that she'll be like, I would like to be on your podcast. <laughs> That's how it works though. I do that all the time too with Nancy Grace. I'm like, oh, I always give her a shout out and stuff on Instagram. And I'm like, maybe she'll come on my podcast one day or something. I don't know. All right. You try to get Brene Brown for me and I will try to get Nancy Grace for you. It's like a race to the finish. Okay. Yeah. Well, I love you. And I'm so excited to drop this episode. I'm so excited for everyone to get to know a little bit more about you. And just thank you for taking time and spending it with me. And hey to Maria over in the corner over there somewhere. Maria's always in the corner. <laughs> when we started, she's like under the desk. You know, I don't know how to use this computer. <laughs> this is where she keeps her daughter, under the desk or in the corner. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I've kept you longer than I was supposed to, but that's just because I enjoy talking to you so much. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. It's good All talking right. to you. Good talk to you too. All right. Bye, hon. Bye. 
If you are a nurse who enjoyed this episode and you have an idea for future episodes, you can connect with me by downloading the nurse.com app. Nurse Dot is a Nurse.com original podcast series. Production, music, and sound editing by Don Lunsford. Production coordination by Rhea Wade. Additional editing by John Wells. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to the Nurse Dot Podcast. Until next time, keep spreading the love and the care.